the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. He's just wrestling with the hangover from Judaism. But these are all believers. Nobody's doing anything immoral. It kind of is like today. You know, today, sometimes we have uh, Christians who are vegans or vegetarians, and they look at eating meat as a moral issue when it's not. And so they'll tell you, it's okay to eat meat, just don't do it in front of me. You know, and there's kind of a, sometimes you perceive they may be looking down on you. And it's warning against that type of behavior. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've joined us today for the broadcast, and as we always do, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his study through the Book of Romans with a series of messages he's entitled, Changed Relationships with God. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you for the book of Romans, because, Father, uh, it, it just helps us to understand and embrace the Christian faith in a very clear way. We thank you for your whole word. Your whole word is true, everything from Genesis to Revelation. As we as a church family, to serve you in unity and diversity, enduring love and patience, Help us to take what we hear each time is drink deeply from this, Lord, and apply it in our lives, in our homes, in our offices, in our classroom, the world around us, for the glory of God, for the good of others, own growth, we ask thee. So today's message is entitled Liberty, I Love, Liberty, Diversity, and Unity, and that's, those are some of the themes in Romans. We're, we're going to take a very small passage and try to unpack that for you, so we'll begin, we're going to do Romans 14, 1 through 15, 13, because it is one thought, and when they read that letter so long ago, when it was read to the congregation in Rome, they read the whole thing one at a time. And there's, there's a whole flow of thought here that I don't want us to miss. And, and today's message is about a complex and often misunderstood topic, as the title might suggest. And some see our passage as, as a discussion of Christian liberty, which it is to some extent. Others see it as a discussion regarding the different types of Christians within the church and a discussion of the so-called weaker and stronger brothers or sisters. And that's true as well. It sure is. 
understanding that the weaker brother is just as saved as the stronger brother. It's also a passage about ensuring the unity of our church, of that church, of this church, or any church, and our own awareness of a need to evaluate everything we do, to look at our motives, to look at ourselves, to look at where we are in our faith and our growth. It's a continuation of the theme that began in Romans 12, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice in light of the mercies of God. And it's also a continuation of a theme that surfaced in Romans 13, where it says, Owe no one anything but to love one another, for this fulfills the law. It is about an obligation. We are obligated to God to love our neighbor as ourself. And it's also about some of the trying times that take place within the church. And I'll give you an example. I mean, we all have people custom-made to drive us crazy. It's like God purpose-built this individual to do that. And one such individual was one of my associate pastors in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I loved him. We worked together. We knew each other for 12 years. We served together for eight. And, and, and this is where I'm not sure whether I was the weaker brother or the stronger brother. But he would be talking and talking or he'd be preaching. He'd go, well, irregardless. And I'd be going, there's no such word as irregardless. It's regardless. That's what it is. Don't say that when you get up in the pulpit next. He'd be then, oh, thanks. You know, he went and checked his Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. He's right. We'd be in a meeting and he'd be, he'd say, and irregardless, and I would be like, I am going to. And so I began to wonder if he was the weaker brother or I was the stronger brother, the way I was responding to him, right? And this is what we're going to get into in our passage today. There are, you know, there are people within the church that differ with us on, on, in a number of ways. Sometimes it's spiritual maturity. And, when, and, in, and in this passage we're reading about the weaker one isn't somebody who's not saved. It's a born-again believer who's at a different place in his or her faith than you might be. And it's how we respond to them. Because, you know, when you look at the history of the Christian church and the history of the Christian church in America... There have been all kinds of spirited discussions, differences, sometimes arguments over things like the length of hair or the occasional glass of wine or playing cards or what types of movies someone should or shouldn't see or social media transactions or hymns that we should or shouldn't be singing or what kinds of instruments are allowable and should not be played or is the Sabbath Saturday or Sunday and should we eat pork? all kinds of discussions. Some people think Calvinists are going to hell. Some Calvinists think Arminians are going to hell. It's all kinds of crazy discussions. Some of them serious, some of them irrelevant. And what this passage really kind of does is encourages us to reset our batteries, reboot our understanding, kind of a, do they still do control, all, delete, anyway, and to think about what we think about and the way that we think about certain things and the way that we treat others who differ with us. Now, don't, under, don't misunderstand me. What I'm going to be teaching today isn't that we just overlook every difference because there are some significant doctrinal differences that cannot be overlooked. At the same time, we need to understand that there are some things that just don't matter in the scheme of eternity and that your weaker brother or sister may grow out of these things, but our goal is to help them grow. Right, right we, we have the whole credo here, be one, build one, right? Be, be one, bring one, build one. And this is the build one aspect of it. So Romans 14 is all about this. Now, let me give you some background. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. It's not a church that he planted. Somebody else planted it. He's coming there as an apostle. As far as we know, they never had any apostle teach there 
prior to him. And he's wanting to make sure, so to speak, that they're all singing from the same sheet of music. That they are majoring on the major and minoring on the minors. Why is that? Because even like today, like in all of our churches today, like in this church, the church in Rome had all kinds of people from all kinds of places with all kinds of baggage. Newer Jewish believers, their baggage was they were wrestling with coming out of first century Levitical and Mosaic practices, Jewish traditions, cultural, dietary, and they were rubbing shoulders with Gentiles who heretofore had been considered unclean by a good Jew. You wouldn't go to their house, you wouldn't eat with them, and you shouldn't want to hang with them. And then there are the new, the new, uh, the newer Gentile believers who had come out of paganism. And you know, Greco-Roman culture was very immoral, orgies, drinking parties, all kinds of things, all manner of prostitution, all manner of bizarre pagan worship. And these new Gentile believers set free in Christ wanted nothing to do with that past. And anything that reminded them of that troubled them greatly. And so here you have the, the new Jewish Christian being set free from the dictates of all those old practices and wrestling with that. Then you have these guys who've been living free and easy, these Gentile believers, who want to get away from all that perceived freedom, all that sinful freedom. They're, and they're all like ex-smokers, you know, they're just wrestling with this stuff. Then you had maturer Gentile and Jewish believers who got it. They, they understood and embraced freedom in Christ and forgetting what lies behind, they press on to the upward call, the prize that awaits them in Jesus Christ. And so they're okay with their freedom. The Jewish believer is glad to be out from underneath some of the traditions of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those legalists who had twisted the law and bent it. And the, and the Gentile believers were glad they were free from sin, death, and hell and no longer given over to the addictions and the predilections of the past. And so in their freedom, they're bumping into the new believers, Jewish or Gentile, who are wrestling with stuff, and there's bound to be friction. And there was. Then you also had the peculiarity of Jewish-only churches. There were Jewish Christian churches that basically had Jews, and they pretty much worshipped in Hebrew. And then you had Gentile churches that worshipped in Hebrew or, uh, excuse me, in Latin or Greek or whatever, and they were made up of non-Jews. And then you had the blended churches that had everybody. And then they would encounter each other in the street or about their days, and it could be complicated, just like it is in churches today. And Paul didn't want cultural, ethnic, or matters of preference to complicate the ministry of the gospel. Paul didn't want anything or anyone intentionally or inadvertently to interfere with the spread of the gospel or the work of the church. And so in chapter, beginning in chapter 14, he starts to camp on these kinds of issues. And that's where we pick up. Let's pick up, and I'm going to read the highlights of the passage. I'm not going to read verse 1 in chapter 14 to verse 13 in chapter 15 because there's not enough time today, but we're going to hit the highlights and then unpack it. So Romans 14, beginning in 14, verse 1, he says, as for the one who is weak in the faith, and the word weak in the faith there means immature or or, uh, somewhat incompetent, new to the faith, weak in the faith. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the person... And while the weak person eats only vegetables, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. They're all saved. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? 
It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. It's talking about the security there of all these believers from all these places, at all these different places in their maturity. In these first four verses, Paul sets the very gracious tone for the passage and its discourse. If you've read Galatians, which some say is the cliff notes for Romans, Paul comes out swinging because they should know better, and they've rejected the real gospel. They're They're flirting with returning to Judaism, and he's got no patience with that. If you've read 1 Corinthians, he's got no patience with their unruly behavior. But what he's dealing with here, very gently and very kindly, are good people, God's people, who are just trying to make sense of their existence through the lens of Scripture. And they've got all this baggage, cultural, ethnic, and otherwise, that they're just trying to work through. And there's nothing here that he has any cause or we have any cause to be angry about. And so he addresses those who are weak and those who are not weak, and he reminds them that God has welcomed them into the faith. They should welcome one another. They shouldn't groan over each other's presence, each other's idiosyncrasies, their perceived differences. He tells them to show some patience and not resent each other, whether it's somebody's dietary hang-up or whether it's somebody like me who will eat any that's set before him as long as it's dead. And, And sometimes those who abstain from meat did so for good reason because They had participated in all kinds of pagan sacrifices and they were afraid it might have been sacrificed to idols. And they're like ex-smokers. They don't want to go back there. And sometimes it's a Jewish person who's abstaining from meat because he's just wrestling with the hangover from Judaism. But these are all believers. Nobody's doing anything immoral. It kind of is like today. You know, today, sometimes we have uh, Christians who are vegans or vegetarians and they look at eating meat as a moral issue when it's not. And so they'll tell you, it's okay to eat meat, just don't do it in front of me. You know, and there's kind of a, sometimes you perceive they may be looking down on you. And it's warning against that type of behavior. It's funny, I remember I did, uh, Terry and I did 18 months to two years as vegetarians, uh, vegans. I dropped about 30 pounds, and then I walked into an In-N-Out burger, and that was into that, okay. And, and let me tell you, no guilt, because I am free in Christ, right? So that's what's kind of going on here. Paul tells the weak and the strong that God has accepted them both so they should accept each other and not resent or judge each other. He tells them not to play God and to remember that God saved them and will sustain them. They will be eternally secure. That's what he tells them. Next in verses five through nine, he warns each side of the uh, weaker brother, stronger brother equation that there are many differences, that there is diversity in the body of Christ each doing what they do in their minds to honor God, to worship God, to their motives are pure. There's nothing wrong with their intentions. They're doing the best they can with what they know and to keep that in mind as we deal with one another. Paul warns them that Christ has died for them and they should be slow to condemn anyone else just to make sure that they're in submission to the word of God as they understand it. And, And he calls them to... Be careful, because here's what happens in churches today. People read this thing that we just read, read this passage, and they said, oh, well, what's true for you is not true for me. That's not what it's saying. In fact, Paul understands, because he understands human nature, and because God has moved him to write what he wrote, that what he's saying is not going to justify anybody believing something that isn't true. And so he begins to to deal with that. And he makes it crystal clear that nothing is in and of itself clean or unclean. There is no unclean meat. In verse 20, Paul indicates that all foods, all kinds of foods are acceptable and warns them to not destroy the unity of the church over things like food. 
over personal preferences, over an incomplete or weak understanding of the gospel. Look at me with, with me at verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. That's a command. Everything, everything is indeed clean. But, and here's the word caution here, a word of caution. What you're going to see here is a tension between our freedom in Christ and our responsibility to our weaker brother. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Just having the freedom doesn't mean you have to exercise it all the time willy-nilly. Then what does he say? Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What's going on there is, is this. If you really believe that eating meat is bad, don't do it. If you believe it's sinful, don't do it. Because if that's what you believe and you do it and you believe it's wrong, then it is sin. Sort of like the person who commits adultery or murder in their own heart. So he's saying, look, you have convictions. Some of them exceed the dictates of scripture. Great, keep them. Keep them to yourself. Don't impose them on other people. You may have convictions that you have liberty in Christ, freedom in Christ. Use them responsibly. You don't have to wield that freedom in Christ that you have, dietary or otherwise, all around you every time. Some freedoms are meant to be restrained from time to time and others embraced. And he's just telling them to be careful. But he's warning the weaker brother that it's not about what people eat. Don't believe that. Understand that. Because we don't want them to stay the weaker brother or so we want them to grow in Christ. Notice what he's saying. Verse 20, feel free to limit yourself and to judge your own heart, but don't play God with others. And verse 21, he's saying to the stronger ones, value your freedom, but not at the expense of somebody of a weaker brother or sister, someone who is less mature. Don't use your freedom carelessly in a way that causes them to stumble. And then in verse 22, he says, don't, ex- don't impose your personal preferences. Don't mistake your preferences about food or drink or anything else and impose them on other people. But if you believe that something is wrong, don't do it. And then he turns his attention to the more mature in verses uh, 15, 1 through 13. And I'm just going to hit the highlights here. He says this, we who are strong, we who are mature, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's not about us. It's about loving God and our neighbor as ourselves, particularly our Christian. He says, we who are mature, we who are strong in the faith, you know, owe no one anything but to love one another. We studied that in chapter 13. That obligation word has the same root word as that. We who are strong have an obligation to bear, I would say, in love with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he reminds us in verse 7, for Christ did not please himself. In verse 3, I'm sorry. And then in verse 5, he says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you, and that's in the plural there, to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ. Christ is the source of our unity. Therefore, welcome one another. That's a command. As Christ welcomed you, show grace for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God 
for his mercy. And then he has this sort of almost a doxology here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And he's just saying, look guys, put aside your petty difference. Put aside your scruples about don't eat this, don't drink that, don't do this, you know, and focus on Christ. It's about unity in Christ for the good of the gospel, for each other's good. You are to build each other up, not criticize each other to death. And so he's cautioned the weak not to judge, and he's cautioned the strong to show some responsibility in the exercise of their liberty. And he's saying, just because you have the freedom to do something doesn't mean you have to do it every time. And so he calls them and us to unity, born out of love and with a real sense of humility as well, because sometimes we think irregardless of what other people tell us, that we're the stronger brother when we're the weaker brother. So with all this in mind, what I'd like to do is take this passage that we just sort of touched on here and use it as a blueprint for unity in this church, for unity in this ministry that God has loaned us. For God has raised us all up for such a time as this in this place to take the gospel outside the walls of this church to the community, including Fall Fest. And I want to give you I want, to, I, want you, I want you to work with me here and draw four conclusions from this passage, four conclusions about how to maintain unity in this church. And the first conclusion that we draw is this one. We are to welcome one another no matter what our differences are. We are to welcome one another, including the weaker ones. Where do we see that? We see that in Romans 14, 1 and 7. It's crystal clear. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, accept him, receive her, embrace her, embrace him, receive them, but not to quarrel over opinions. It's keeping the main thing the main thing, not to quarrel over opinions. And then in verse 7, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We exist to glorify God. We exist to worship God. And we need to be tolerant. I hate that word today because it's so overused in our culture. But we need to be tolerant. We need to welcome. We need to be accepting of one another. Warts, scars, and all. Because we all come from different places. We're all different ages. We're all different ethnicities. And all of us bring a little baggage to the table. But that baggage should never blind us to our mission, to our life's purpose in fulfilling that great commitment. If our cause is Christ, then our motive is love. Now, we're not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can live out and demonstrate what is the good and perfect will of God. We will be concerned about the glory of God and the good of others, not our own preferences about wine, food, meat, whatever it is. The length of somebody's hair, what movie they watch. Do they watch the NFL on Sunday? Do they watch the NFL at all? No one is to resent anyone on things of a minor nature. It doesn't, it's not a license for sin. It's a call to unity. It's a call to patience. It's a call to humility. It's a call to Christian love. Paul writes in verses two and three. Let's look at it there. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for because God has welcomed him. What's up? Why are we to welcome one another? Well, the answer is found in verse 3. Let the one who eats not despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats for God has welcomed him. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master, Christ, 
that he stands or falls and he will be upheld. He will be sustained, preserved in his salvation for the Lord is able to make him stand. The weaker brother from whosoever perspective is a saved brother. Saved, being sanctified and being rescued by God until the day of salvation. God is his or her judge, not you and I. God has welcomed him, her, into the assembly, into the congregation, and a new believer is going to be rough around the edges. Sanctification, spiritual growth is a process, not merely a one-time event. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. If you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408 269 4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live Radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.